Welcome back to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where the points don't matter, but the people who eat dogs do. Uh, oh. Today. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Today we are uh, diving into our new category. Happy New Year, everyone. We are diving into uh, Bong Joon-ho, the uh, critical director of uh, the Best Picture 2019, uh, Parasite. Uh, Mr. Bong Joon-ho has quite a history, and so we're going to dive in. Uh, as always, I am your co-host, Josh Page. With me, as always, my co-host and friend, Steve Molina. Bong Joon-ho, everyone. I'm actually pretty excited for this one. Our first director in quite some time. Yeah. I mean, after two uh, f- uh, franchise uh, seasons, we're diving back into the directors. I know. This is uh, crazy stuff. We're tackling old and new ground at the same time here. And really you know what? Good. This is the first time a movie exceeded an hour and a half in quite some time as well. This is true. I'm not, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, oh, the movie's still going. And not that it's a bad thing. I was just not used to it. But <laughs> Wait, where are the animated birds? Way I was promised uh, animated deer and uh, rabbits. This and- movie is too dark for an animated movie. <laughs> It's really, especially. I, I wouldn't want children seeing this movie. It's funny it, that you say that because we just closed out Disney, which is designed for children. Um, and so, as always, uh, Stephen and I wanted to do shows that were opposite or some, some kind of opposite, you know, just to take a detour from the the prior show. And so it's ironic that we're going from uh, um, uh, a franchise. That would is never kind of, kill a dog. Well, right, was founded around animated creatures, lovable animated creatures, and here we are, and we have multiple dogs on the table. Wes would be really excited about this one, you know. I am quite sure Wes saw this one. I would imagine he saw this one. He had to have. Yeah, I mean, next week we will get into a very interesting web that I like, kind of created in my mind. But this week's episode, uh, we're covering. Uh, dogs barking dogs never bite his first movie and what a feat this was this is craziness this is really something it was quite uh, a first picture to go to go out with i'm glad that you and i i mean you didn't see you had not seen this prior right it's, no you have you no so i'm glad that this was this was a new experience for us but yeah um, um i'll say up front that i haven't seen uh, like now I've seen most of his movies, but when starting this uh, podcast, I only saw three of his seven movies, so not even a majority of them. So yeah. I'm I'm really excited to get into this, actually. Yeah, me too. A lot of it's going to be new, and it's going to be very curious to see how he gets from where he does what's uh, from Barking really, Dogs to Parasite. What's really interesting is more than any of the two directors we've already covered. Literally, in this movie, you can tell the themes that are most important to him. You can tell like what visual techniques he's going to use for the rest of his career. It's oh yeah. Really crazy. You know, like, like I was saying, Nolan had that in themes, I guess. 
Wes Anderson didn't really have that at all with Bottle Rocket. I mean, there were like some things, but not really. This movie's like right off the bat, Bong Joon-ho. Um, I'm very curious. I don't know how many notes you have about him as his background. But I have I'm very... a bunch. More than I do about the movie itself, actually. No, that's fine because I don't have as many notes about him because obviously whatever his upbringing was or whatever his background was or whatever his point of view was growing up, like it must have impacted the way he makes movies because right and we'll I'll save it for when we really dive into it. But even while watching Barking Dogs, it's like even within the first twenty minutes, I'm like, I can already see parallels between this and Parasite. So that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. like literally this movie and Parasite intersect. Like they they live they in a could shared exist. universe. Yeah, I was just gonna say they exist in the multiverses. So but you mentioned cool. Bong Joon Ho's past. Let's give a quick bio here. Dive in. So he grew up in the south of South Korea in Daeung. I, I, I'm not going to be able to, I apologize in advance for the butchering of every single word that I'm going to say in this entire podcast. For, just for a little Easter egg uh, trivia for the, for the folks out there who listen to our uh, th- uh, Three Caballeros Saludos Amigos episode from Disney season, Stephen and I are not, um, <laughs> we're not pr- prone to our pronunciation of uh, we're dialect. ignorant Americans. It's not uh, ignorant New Yorker uh, Americans. <laughs> so the yes. town, the town he grew up in, is spelled D A E G U. So there you go, everyone. Um, he calls it the most conservative city in all of South Korea. That's what Bong Joon Ho said. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. Uh, he grew up in a middle class family. His father was a graphic designer professor. And his grandfather was actually a famed writer. Um, he has three siblings, all of which are professors of art. So clearly professorship runs in the family. And that is why I think there's a professor in every single one of his movies. Uh, he said that he, like I said, he's middle class. So he grew up in between what you see in Parasite. Like he didn't live in one of those basements, but he also didn't live in a beautiful house on the hill. He grew up between there. and Which is very interesting to see the, the class dynamics because that's obviously Well, a that's what theme. gave him the insight to both worlds because he said that he had friends that were rich and he had friends that were poor growing up. So you get the whole point of view. Yeah. But kind of like Martin Scorsese, uh, he really he really didn't go outside much as a kid. He stayed inside and consumed as much media as he could. He blames his family because he said his whole family doesn't like sports, so it was just never really <laughs> popular for him. But because so, of the American military in the uh, in South Korea, it's you know America has troops there, so there is an American channel. Or T like on South Korean TV, there is an American channel, and that's what him and his family would watch. Uh, oh. Because Bong Joon Ho's mother would not allow him to go to the movie theaters either. She, Interesting. She was a germaphobe and didn't think theaters were clean, so she was uh, COVID friendly before COVID was a thing. Very COVID friendly. Wow, she's ahead of the time. <laughs> Way ahead of the time. But I guess him consuming media, you know, helped him, you know, gather, uh, well, and obviously the world around him, but. Yeah. Um, He grew up in the 70s and 80s during a Korean military dictatorship. So 
that also influenced his opinion on politics as well, because he was a very pro-democracy guy, so much so that he was at protests and he even admitted that he was arrested for creating um, petro bombs. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, crazy stuff. That's very interesting though, because he's clearly, the politics and the, the classism is like, it's just so clear. Yeah. That, I mean, obviously there's, the roots had to come from somewhere. He, yeah. I mean, he's been political since he was uh, in college where he was a sociology major, not a film major. But he said that, uh, I admit that I was a sociology major, but I know very little about sociology. <laughs> At least the man's honest. Because he often skipped classes. Instead, he made his money through tutoring rich kids. I wonder where that comes back. Wow, that's very interesting. He met his wife at a college media club called the Yellow Door Club because the club was behind a classroom with a yellow door. Very original. Cool. Very original. His job was to manage the video collection. So this initial, this like pretty much meant that he had to illegally obtain every movie that he possibly could. So a lot like uh, people on Pirate Bay or any internet yeah. uh, users today. So also ahead of his time. Ahead of his time doing pirating, ahead of his time. <laughs> Let me tell you, he's bombing things. He's stealing things. I think this man is a pirate. This guy really knows what he's doing. This he's is a man. This is a man who knows <laughs> how to steal movies. <laughs> Please continue. In the club, he directed a short 16 millimeter film. And from that 16 millimeter film, he applied to the Korean Academy of Film Arts, where he got in it's a two-year program and it's the preeminent film school in all of korea so he went there in 1994 and he said that was the same year as pulp fiction which changed his view on cinema completely interesting uh, once again pulp fiction inspires us to want to make movies that's really all i have for his biography but obviously he's hit you know fame with all his movies of that have come out so much so that he has a new there's like a term created around him called a bong tail i don't know okay. if you've ever heard of this uh, but his fans have created the word the word to describe like his way of filming a movie honestly it's kind of a way to say he's an auteur like it, it's literally a word specifically for his auteurism mm -hmm. essentially you know bong tail it's very that's really that's really cool well and i think it's very interesting because we're gonna see a lot of i i can already see the based on what i've seen and just even from barking dogs is to see the progression of how he got to where he did and kind of coming full circle between uh dogs and parasite um but it's also interesting because he's only got these seven pictures that's still a you know it's a decent amount but it's also for this idea of him becoming an auteur it's almost like we're kind of seeing these early stages of him becoming, especially with Parasite winning Best Picture, of him becoming like a kind of an actual public, uh, sorry, of him kind of becoming a more uh, a big film figure in the public eye, you know? Well, it's interesting because I'm not saying all, because obviously like Scorsese has a lot of movies, but a, 
good amount of auteurs or like what we think of as auteurs have only a few movies like Tarantino only has nine movies mm-hmm. um who else Kubrick only had what 11 movies or something like that yeah so 11 12 movies something like that so and Paul Thomas Anderson has a you know a limited yeah. number so I mean obviously Paul Thomas Anderson is still working literally he's filming a movie as we speak mm-hmm. but um you know they don't have a huge swell of films but that's why this is this will be this will be um this will be nice to kind of dive into Bong Joon-ho's work because it's because he has that limited number he's taking the time to clearly put in the efforts instead of just pumping out movies every couple of years and then he having these kind of hits and misses so it's very interesting to dive into someone yeah um, I who, this is kind of off topic. It just like entered my mind as I was talking, and we could cut this too. But it's just interesting to think about what Tarantino will do now. You know that he's a huge film guy, and now that movie theaters are like pretty much gone, it's like, is he gonna make that tenth movie that he always promised, or is he done after Hollywood? I don't know. No, 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 no. He'll definitely do something. I hope so. We'll save it for a Tar- finishes his tenth movie. We'll save it for a Tarantino episode. <laughs> Even though technically he kind of does have a tenth movie, you know. Are you, are you referring to Death Proof? Yeah. Oh, I mean, let's not start. Let's let's save that for the Tarantino episode. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into Barking Dogs. Uh, yeah. I really don't have a lot of info. There's not a lot of information out there about this. I'm on IMDb. There's almost nothing about it. So we'll yeah. just, we'll dive I, into what we have. Bong, sh- Bong said that uh, the film is really just a stupid comedy, but it was partially inspired by his older brother. He also followed up by saying that his brother loves dogs. So don't worry, he didn't kill any dogs. Well, when it opened with, the film opened, and I'm not going to dive in, I mean, we'll come back, but it's when it opens with no animals were harmed or no dogs were harmed during the making of this film. Honestly, that was the first time that I was like kind of relieved that they put that in there. Yeah. Well, it made me realize that because um, uh, in other cultures in general, it can be a little more harsh with their just cruelty in general. Yeah. So it's like, so to put, to see the disclaimer, I was like, okay, I guess we're expected to see some kind of whatever violence against dogs or whatever. We can talk about this now. I was, thinking about it while we were watching it, but this also has similarities to Okja in just about the treatment of animals. You know, I don't know how long Bong Joon-ho has been a vegan or a vegetarian, or if he even is, but I imagine he is. I feel like he's so disgusted with meat that he sees all forms of meat like a dog, you know? Mm -hmm. At one point you think a chicken is a dog in this movie, you know? It's so, very interesting to see. And I'll, I'll save it for, for final thoughts, but it's kind of, uh, or our, our final discussion. But um, his commentary is, is very unique because it's he's doing PETA in a, I, he does, like, you, like the Ocha comparison is very accurate. He's doing PETA in a way that's very loud, but it's also, um, it works. Especially for, even for this movie, it really works. But we'll... Well, that's something about his movies that, you know, we'll save it for Ocha because I have a <laughs> lot of thoughts about Ocha. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the movie. Yeah. Um, do you have any other notes about the actual yeah. pre-production? Uh, I the only other note that I have is that the movie cost eight hundred thousand dollars to make. So, like, good on Bong Joon Ho for raising that money. I don't know how yeah. he did. 
there's no box office receipt that I can that I could find, but it said that only around a hundred thousand people saw it uh, when it first came out, which made it a flop. They the top note is that it was tech. It's technically a total flop at the box office. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I have, do you did you mention that because you what did you say was inspired by his brother? Yeah, his brother, partially inspired by his brother. Because it says the film's at least the film's title. It says it's a satirical take on um, a dog of Flanders, which is a European pet story that is very popular in parts of East Asia. Cool. <laughs> Let's get into that movie now. Again, before I begin, I just want to. <coughs> Oh, I just yeah. want to apologize These, for the names if I for the, mispronounce the f- them. Or... The future butchering that we're about to do. No, it will. None of it's intentional. We only yeah. have good intentions, folks. <laughs> yeah. I, so let's get into it. Ko Yunju, uh, played by Lee Sung Jae, is looking out his window to the forest. He's on the phone lamenting to his friend that he fears he will never attain his professorship. The call is ended due to the incessant yapping of a neighbor's dog. The sound of the dog follows him through the apartment complex, even to the garbage cans. I hate dogs like that, too. I'm not going to say I would do anything like this, but anyway. Uh, on his way back to his apartment, Young Ju stumbles across a Maltese. He slowly approaches the dog, but it runs away. He pursues and grabs the dog. Yanju's intentions are made clear when he brings the dog to the roof. The only thing that stops him is an old woman who is drying her radishes. Yangju then brings the dog to the basement and attempts to hang it, which <laughs> rough, rough stuff. No pun, no pun intended. <laughs> this was like, this is why um, I was saying this is the only time in a movie I really needed that no dogs were harmed in the make, like no animals were harmed in the making of it. This was like, holy shit, disgusting. Um, yeah, I mean, I know, like I said, with and foreign This films, is coming from a Leftovers fan where they shoot the fucking dogs, you know? Yeah, 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 this yeah, is yeah. rough stuff. This is, they, 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 the foreign, I, I mean, for, foreign filmmakers in general always can they often go hard with like when it's violent it's violent when it's grim it's grim when it's bleak it's really dark you know so it's where was i she's hanging the dog yeah (laughs) hanging the he attempts to hang the dog but cannot instead he locks it away in an armoire which i don't know how that's better letting a dog starve and suffer for i don't know he doesn't have to watch he doesn't have to watch it he doesn't have to watch it i get it it's just like that's fucked up of course it is Park, uh, how do you, I don't even know. Hyun? Yeah. Park Hyun Nam, Bay Duna, arrives uh, at the really, office. It's a great job. Uh, yeah. Bay Duna also, uh, she made a career for herself later on here in America with um, uh, Cloud Atlas and uh, the other one that Wachowskis did. The show. Uh, Sense8. Yeah, she was uh, in those. I didn't projects. see Sense8 or Cloud Atlas, but I've heard mixed things about they're mixed I, I like them both but anyway but she's yeah the Rachowski she, sisters uh matrix four coming to hbo max next year Jesus. this year shit it's already 2021 oh god her disinterest at her job as a bookkeeper is noted almost immediately as she is on the phone with her friend yon jang mi go tihi tuhi a conversation a convenience store employee 
doing a crossword puzzle. They're literally on the phone doing a crossword puzzle while they're at work. It's like, you could not say to people more, I don't give a fuck about my job. <laughs> a young girl in a bright yellow poncho arrives to Hyun Nam's office and uh, hands her missing dog posters to certify. Hyun Nam questions why the little girl is not at school. She says she could not focus with her dog missing. Hyun Nam volunteers to help find the missing Maltese. Yoon Sil, uh, played by Kim Ho Jung, uh, Yun Ju's pregnant wife, comes home to find her husband sleeping on the floor. She wakes him to her walnuts. Very interesting. Quite a metaphor. That's, that's pretty good. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't know who this character was at first. She's yelling at him to crack the walnuts. I'm like, is this his boss? Is this his, who is this person? Then I realized it's, you know, it's his wife. But I'm like, she's yelling at him to crack walnuts. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. A metaphor indeed. Go for it. Uh, later that night, Yunju is at a bar surrounded by friends. Everyone at the table splurges on $8 t-shirts from the bar. The shirt also comes with drinks. Yunju's financial status is made clearer when a friend offers to buy the shirt for him. After karaoke, of course. Yun, you always karaoke. I, Yun, that seems to be a theme in the movies. Well, I don't, or not a theme, but a, it seems to repeat itself very often in his movies. He likes okay. his musical moments. Yeah, no, that is very true. I was going to say karaoke, I know it's just, it's very popular in Asian culture in general. Well, no, I, but in his movies explicitly, he likes having um, uh, at least one or two sequences where characters are singing. I didn't pick up on that. I'll like have even to. in Snowpiercer, there's that sequence when they go to the classroom and the kids are singing. I love it. It's so good. We'll in, have to make a note of yeah. that. Not we'll make it. We'll make a note of that as we go along. The notable. Bong Joon Ho, come on, make a musical. Notable singing. I would watch. Oh man, dude! Of course, everyone would watch. It'd be fucking uh, a banger. Um, but after karaoke, Yunju goes to the bathroom. In the bathroom, Yunju finds his friend who tells him that the professor job is open again. The previous candidate, Min, after a night of drinking with the dean, was decapitated by a subway. Rough all stuff you, for my all, guy, Min. <laughs> all Yunju has to do is raise $10,000 to bribe Dean, which I found very funny, because, and we'll talk about like, the comedy, because his movies really, not that they're all comedies, but he's got a comedy vein in every single one of his movies. Well, he called this a comedy. And yeah, and it's just that moment where they show the guy stumbling over the subway, and then it's, you know, it cuts to him telling the story and the friend's like, well, he's like, well, the position's open. And it's like, that's immediately his first thought. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, well, <laughs> and it just Cold. shows <laughs> the mind, the mindset of where these characters are. Um, but uh, again, I'll save all that for the end. Um, Yunju makes it back home and pontificates to his sleeping wife. The drunken monologue is interrupted by dog bark, the same dog bark from the beginning. Yunju jumps and runs out of the apartment. He I don't think off. he shut the door. I don't think, I don't think he did. Um, there's a fucking like crazy homeless man in this building and you're not going to leave you're going to leave your wife your pregnant fucking wife with the door a, open there's a lot to be said about the characters intentions and their priorities and where what they think is important in the moment and again I'll save it all for the end but yeah. um, he rips off the missing dog poster where in big letters it says dog cannot bite due to throat problems the Maltese is not the right one. Oh man <laughs> Stuff. Distraught, Yanju goes to the basement and but finds no dog in the armoire. Instead, he hears a noise and hides. It is the janitor, Byun Hee-bong. He has the dead dog and is preparing to eat it. 
Way to Bong Joon-ho for perpetuating the stereotype here. <laughs> Young Joo receives an angry message from his wife. The ping sound is noticed by the janitor, but he does not have the time to find who is in the armoire as the building manager comes to the basement. The janitor quickly hides the dead dog with a sheet of newspaper, which was, like, hilarious. He literally, like, cloaks the dead dog with, like, a sheet of newspaper, like... There's some real dark humor going on. The manager is looking for kids who smoke pot in the basement. As the janitor and manager talk, the light above them goes out. In an attempt to return to his meal, the janitor tries to scare the manager with the story of Boiler Kim. Ooh. Instead, the manager invites the janitor to his office to eat the stew. So he doesn't get to finish that delicious dog. Young Ju finally can get out of the armor, but finds he is locked into the basement. A cough is heard down the hall. The homeless man, Kim Rae Ha, emerges from the laundry and scares Jun Yu enough that he climbs through the window. I would really shit my pants too. It's really intense stuff. A real, a real shift in tone for this. We'll we'll obviously save that for you know our fun little thing at the end. An announcement is made for the. An, an announcement is made for the apartment complex about a missing dog. Yanju, sorting through his garbage, notes to the janitor that dogs aren't technically allowed in the complex. Yanju then sees the old woman, Kim Jin-gu, and her yapping dog. Yanju stalks the woman out and ultimately steals the dog. At Jang-mi's store, and, uh, at Jang-mi's store she and Hyun-nam are watching the news. A woman is being awarded for standing up to a bank robber. Hyun Nam is jealous of the publicity. At Jang Mi's request, the pair go to the roof to smoke. On the next building, Hyun Hyun Nam sees a man, Yan throw a dog off the roof. <laughs> Hyun Nam finds and chases Yan She nearly catches him as well, but she is only stopped when a door is opened in her face. That whole sequence, my my God. <laughs> Oof, I, I can't even imagine what I would do if I saw someone throw a dog off the roof. I will say that, and again, it goes back to like, he's a Korean, South, uh, you know, Bong is a Korean filmmaker, so it's just like, but like, like I was saying, like the violence is just what we're used to in American culture. It's just like, not that it's uncommon, but it's just like, he really just goes the extra mile. He's like, you know, yeah. well, John Wick, when his dog died, it's like, come on, no blood in that movie. He didn't go oh, ape shit. This is really. No violence in there at all. It's really something. The next day, the old lady comes to Hyun Nam to, stomp, to stamp her lost dog flyers. Instead, Hyun Nam shadow, uh, shows her the dog's body. The old woman is so distraught, she ends up in the hospital. Meanwhile, Eun Sil comes home with her own dog. Yeah, Hyun- I love the way that they shot that because he's sitting there and you don't see the woman's face. You just see the, her approach the frame and she's holding, I don't know if it's a poodle or whatever it is it's um i don't know but it, she's holding and then the dog enters the frame before he sees it so the audience is like oh no like he, another dog's about to uh, ruin his the day. way he frames uh <clears throat> the wife throughout the entire movie is very interesting i feel like she was the most meticulously um crafted or meticulously filmed character right i think that they're well oh, oh, we we'll get to a different scene in a minute yeah, yeah. Hyun Ju is pissed. Eun Sil tells him to crack her walnuts. 
The janitor tasked with burying the dog is instead preparing it for his next stew. He leaves for salt. When he returns, he finds an empty pot. The homeless man has eaten his stew, which was pretty funny. Yeah. <clears throat> Over the next few days, Yeonju and Eunsil get into more arguments, one of which results in Yeonju rolling toilet paper down the street, which was pretty crazy. I like that that segment. I don't know how realistic it is that you could roll a toilet paper that roll like that. Clear and clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like that. I like that sequence. Yeah, me too. Well, Hyun Nam fantasizes about being famous, like something out of Caddyshack. The janitor plays golf with a mop. I don't know. That was like absurd. A few days later, Yeonju walks the dog, uh, walks the dog through a freshly pesticided route, which kind of reminded me of Parasite. Yeah. He stumbles across a lottery ticket. The scratch-off doesn't pay off, but he was so distracted that the dog was taken. Yeonju goes home to tell Eunsil, this is the shot I was talking about with how meticulously it was shot, because you don't see her face at all this entire conversation until she, like, when turns he come- around and Oh, when she's looking him. out the window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's looking at the TV, and she won't That's even right. look at him when he says he lost a dog. Yeah. Uh, the truth comes out that Ensil was fired for being pregnant, which lawsuit, guys, lawsuit. Her, her severance pay was $13,000. She spent 300 on the dog and was going to give 10000 for Yeonju's bribe. In the same bright yellow poncho as the little girl in the beginning, Yeonju is now out in the rain looking for his dog. I don't know if you caught that. But what? the little girl in the beginning was wearing a bright yellow poncho while she was mm-hmm. looking for her dog. And now Yeonju is wearing like the same poncho. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That's good. He's that's just a good, as um, like, uh, I don't that's know. That's a visual cue, you know, it's like the yellow poncho is the sad person looking for the dog. It almost had like a Charlie Brown-esque thing to it, especially that's with that like jazzy music behind it. He's very good at staging that, that kind of mood. We'll talk about, I I, have, I feel like I have a lot to say, but I don't want to say too much. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Hyun Nam sees the posters and takes Yeonju to her office to stamp them. While there, Hyun Nam gets a phone call from the hospital. The old woman has died. Feeling responsible, Yeonju's nose begins to bleed. Um, you should feel responsible, you piece of shit. Piece of shit. <laughs> he is easily responsible. Oh, it's terrible. Um, while hanging posters, Hyun Nam is called back to work. As she leaves, Yeonju notices the janitor is carrying groceries. He follows the janitor to the basement. The two clash over the janitor's bucket. Once Yeonju opens the bucket, he finds a chicken. Twist. Twist. <laughs> what is this? At the office, Yeonnam is getting barraged by her boss. The conversation is interrupted by a letter from the old woman. She has left Yeonnam her radishes. Hyunnam goes to the roof to collect her reward, but sees the homeless man and the dog. She approaches the dog slowly, but assuredly. Behind her, she fantasizes a cheering crowd. I loved that moment. I, I feel like in any other movie, I'd be like, it, it, it wasn't directed right. I could feel like it's cheap or whatever, but like, I don't know. I just thought it was great. Like, she's building up this moment. I was moment. kind of in awe of that moment. I was like, yeah. wow, Bong Joon-ho is uh, not only taking big shots, but for a first movie, this is like truly ambitious but we'll get into that later it, absolutely uh the homeless man catches hyunnam but she, but thinks she wants to partake in the dog feast um yeah that he, was ridiculous that I, he just like automatically assumes that 
this line in the elevator and he's uh he's like uh is this your dog he says no he says that we can eat it together and it's like no you what are you are you a crazy it's person? crazy that his mind just jumps right to like oh you want to eat this dog with me that's what I love, and I, I just, I don't want to say too much, but it's just like, that's what I, I really love about what I've seen of his movies, is he jumps to these dark comedic moments where, like, the logic of these characters is so askewed. It's so, like, the points of view of these people are, are just way out there. Um, but as always, I digress. He tells, uh, the homeless man tells her to hold the dog and prepares to stick it with a pipe. Hyunnam flees with fucking the- fucking crazy. <laughs> Wild. Hyunnam flees with the dog. The homeless man, like <laughs> the homeless man, like Michael Myers, pursues. He's uh, literally like walking as she's running. I was gonna say, or in, in tune with our show, like uh, like like Jason Voorhees. But either way, I feel uh, like after watching the Friday the Thirteenth movies, Jason doesn't move as slow as he like in part two. Obviously, he moved slow because the guy was in the woods, standing there like an asshole for five minutes, but. <laughs> Um, it, you know, as the series progressed, Jason got more agile. Michael Myers, it's always that slow walk. It's always slow, slow walking. Um, the homeless man catches her in the elevator and hands Hyun Nam her radishes. <laughs> Jang uh, Mi swoops down and begins to beat the homeless man up. The homeless man is arrested and the dog is returned. The story is run on the news, but alas, Hyun Nam and Jang Mi were not a part of it, even though they were interviewed for everyone. Hyun Ju and... And Sil are preparing the bribe for the dean, putting the cash underneath the cake, which we, I should have made a note earlier. Like the bribing thing is essential to getting the job, but is technically illegal. So. Well, it's, uh, and I want to say for when we talk about the cat, our categories, but it's also like, that's even their, like they're doing a good deed. is like still a, like a bad thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. still, their motive is still, is still run by something that's not morally right yeah we'll talk about it later but i just wanted to make a note of that for the you know why he's putting a cake on top of food uh, yeah i was confused at first but then i had remembered you know going back to the bribe and then it really made sense but yeah on his way to see the dean yanju gives the homeless man gives a homeless woman money in a flash forward yanju is getting drunk with the dean on his way home, he fantasizes about dying like men, which, you know, you're at a low point if you're fantasizing about suicide. Yep. Hyun Nam, depressed, goes, out, goes to pick up beer. On her way to Jang Mi, she sees a little girl, the little girl from the beginning, with mm-hmm. a new dog. She also finds Yeonju passed out on the street, like literally passed out on the street. This guy is like literally sleeping, holding hitting, a light post. He's hitting rock bottom. Stumbling and drunk, Yeonju begins to rip the lost dog posters down. Yeon Nam says that she has lost her job. Guilt overwhelms Yeonju. He attempts to confess that he killed the old woman's dog. He does this by running and having Yeon Nam chase him. Again, I should have made a note. Yeon Nam only saw the killer of the dog from the you know, just to backtrack, from, yeah, right? To so she only yeah. she only chased, she only saw the back of him. So he's trying to jog her memory to confess. Yeah, he's confessing by running and having her look at the back of his head, and he keeps repeating, "Remember this? Does this look we, familiar?" We ran, we ran together like this once. Yeah, they ran for a while, like farther than I probably would have run. 
especially drunk. So they ran for quite a while, passing countless missing dog posters. Hyun Nam realizes who he is, but simply tells John Yu he is missing a shoe. An, un an unidentified amount of time has passed. Yan Ju is a professor, preparing a slideshow. The blinds close in the class, leaving him in darkness. Hyun Nam and Jang Mi prepare to hike in the forest behind the apartment complex. The credits roll as they ascend. The end. So, as always, we are going, we created awards for, so Josh, would you like to tell the people what the awards are? I would love to tell the good people at home what the awards are. You could tell the bad people, too. Uh, I don't, don't want to discriminate. Judge. Exactly. All right. We're, so we're talking we, about a movie about a man who's killing a dog. You and, know, eat, and, you know, and eating people, eating dogs. Um, I kind of wish we left the food award in, but I guess it's too dark. But <laughs> You know what? They should have made him like big. Big like a dog. Big like a dog. I love it. That, I think that's come back every show we've done. Um, <clears throat> so we have uh, best or worst character. We have best genre bend. And for the folks at home, uh, that's when the genre shifts. I had to have Stephen clarify for me. Yeah, there's a lot of moments in Bong's movies where even if it's for a moment, there's a blimp when the genre just completely shifts for a minute or two, or even the entire movie could shift after a certain moment, like in Parasite. We'll get to that later. But... Uh, that, 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 okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, we, and we also have worst moment for the lower class. Uh, as we've talked about, Bong has quite a history with his uh, classism and politics. So uh, followed by best twist and ending with best four. What a twist. Oh. What it was. So, Stephen, please tell the people at home your uh, best or worst character. So, my runner-up is the janitor. Like, what a piece of shit this guy is. <laughs> Just scooping up dead dogs and eating them. Uh, not where you want to be in life. I think he even has a comment in the movie where he's like, the dogs eat better than I do. And it's, like, really ironic. Yeah. Because he's literally eating the dogs. Yeah. Um, so, piece of shit, that guy. But I'm going to go with <laughs> Yanju. Uh, as my worst character and he's kind of the best at the same time because of his character arc mm -hmm. but he is just like what a fucking asshole this guy is he starts off by stealing a dog and trying to hang it and then he ends up with bribing to uh a dean to get his job you know he, you're supposed to question his morality because of how depraved his life is he obviously he's not a wealthy man in this movie. He can't even afford an eight dollar shirt, and his wife treats him like shit. It was still on the nose how much like shit she treated him. But they try and build sympathy for him, and yes, he has like a compelling story arc. But at the same time, it's like you fucking killed a dog. How like how am I supposed to justify like he's technically responsible for multiple dogs being killed? Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I can't forgive that. He's my it's worst character. Very interesting when they do that with characters, uh, protagonists, when they try and like, you know, you're supposed to find their arc and their sympathy and like you know, the moral crux of who they are. And this was just right from the get go. Maybe it's just the, the golden rule of like not killing animals who kill animals. You're, you know, you deserve to die. You deserve whatever. You deserve some kind of um, uh, justice against you i guess i don't know but i never felt like the character was i mean I, I could see where he was coming from because he was struggling but it's also just yeah i couldn't really i thought for sure so is he your the, worst character too i'm just clarifying 
Um, he was actually not my my the, my pick for the character. I actually went with the janitor as the best and worst. I didn't know runner ups. Uh-huh. He's not. I, he's the, obviously my worst because he's you know cooking and eating dogs. But it's just ironic to show he's actually not morally. He's not the worst character. You know, the homeless man and the protagonist are arguably worse for whatever, you know? So, um, and I thought he was the best for every, he, he gave like a charisma to the movie in the way that like the woman, the, the housemaid in Parasite did. It's kind of like, there's another, he, he doesn't have as much depth or, or layers, but every time he's on screen, it's like that character is like, I don't know. I, it's very unpredictable. It's very unexpected. I don't really know what to, to get from that character. And especially from the story he tells, it's very, we'll save that, but it's, um, every time that character was on screen, I got, I, I got excited. I was anticipating something dreadful to happen. Yeah. Um, but that's my pick. So what is your pick for best genre bend? Um, so just to kind of segue into it, I intentionally stealing your answer. I just felt like it was the only kind of, Oh, not intentionally, but you're still going to steal it. Answer that made sense. We can have an open discussion about it. But I felt like um, you could probably word it better than I could, but the Boiler Kim story is where it truly started to become not just a thriller, but almost like a, a like a horror in terms of it becoming like this urban legend kind of like, I didn't know where, the tone of the movie entirely shifted for that scene. Because up until that point, it's this jazzy kind of dark comedy. It's got the the drum soundtrack that sounds like Birdman and then it's kind of like then they get <laughs> to this put that together that's good though <laughs> it's good I have no I have some notes about that at the end but it's it's that's Boiler Kim's where I was like oh this movie's gonna get even darker and I got excited and it reminded me of why I love this guy's movies but I'll let well, you not just the the tonal change but the way in which it's shot because mm-hmm. from that you know as soon as that story shots it's all low angle oh my with god the lights uh very sparingly <laughs> there's only a flashlight they used the way that it was shot was very uh horror the whole tone just like completely changed for like a whole minute to five minutes somewhere around that ballpark yeah i was gonna say even it's like when we watched like movies and shows growing up and characters would sell with spooky stories around a campfire and they'd hold a flashlight under their face yeah. like it's like it's like almost like he's intentionally being like satirical but or he's being like comedic about it because it's so over the top and yet like the music changes the, the lighting like everything you just yeah. said is just so uh it just <laughs> just that moment is just so different than everything else it's really cool anyway uh worst moment for the lower class uh i'm gonna go with just feeling the need to eat dogs in general. <laughs> That's how you, you know? know it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. When people are so depraved that they are eating dogs and not only eating dogs, but feeling like other people are just like fine with eating dogs. The homeless man was just like, oh, you're going to join me and eat this dog with me, right? Like when you're that depraved, like that's not a good place to be for any class. That's that's really low class. Yeah. Morally and economically. Very, uh, very dark. But <clears throat> for the lower dark class, stuff. yeah, you got to be desperate to be eating dogs. But then again, we're, we're only ignorant Americans. How much do we really know? You begged. Um, begged like a dog. You begged like dogs. My, my best moment for the lower class, and I think it's just where... Worst moment for the lower class. Wow. Excuse me. Hold on. No, no. 
I don't mean to be rude. I didn't even have it written down. I just wrote lower class first. All right. Low class? You're telling me I'm low, I'm white trash? Well, you call it low class. I'm just so remembering my... it's always sunny with the shorts. Look at my range. <laughs> How is this low class? I can go lower. <laughs> um, I, all right. So worst moment for lower class. And I think it's, I really just, it hit the moment when you and I talked about the categories and I was thinking of it. It was like, really where it came to fruition uh, for the whole movie but was the moment where the wife where Yunju's wife revealed um, that she was using the money for severance pay that she had gotten fired and what you I, I for being there, pregnant that's why she fucking got fired it, exactly so my, it came to this point where like yeah people homeless people are eating dogs crazy janitors are eating dogs and people are throwing dogs on the roofs it's really giving Wes Anderson a run for his money with the worst moment for dogs. But, um, but I, I, just to bring our show, just to bring our show for full circle, you know? Yes. Um, but that moment made me realize like, here are these two characters who are in this estranged relationship where she's having them crack nuts. And that's just, I'm breaking, breaking, breaking balls, whatever you want, however you want to put it. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But you have to believe their relationship is being motivated by something, right? She's pregnant and he wants, he wants money. He wants to become a teacher. And then there's this moment where she's like, I got fired, you know, for being pregnant. I was going to use the money to help you with, I've been awesome. You realize how, how low these people are willing to stoop. And you're like, for me, it was a realization that like these kind of decent characters with one of them with horribly indecent morals it's kind of like you're realizing this truth is that everyone's kind of scrambling in this desperate state of like um, thriving to survive, if you will. So it's like that moment was the shift for me. I was like, wow, these characters are really all at the bottom of the food chain. So, um, but that was my only moment that I had. And what is your best twist? My, so the best twist I had was actually early on because I really didn't see it coming was the reveal that the dog in the cupboard couldn't bark because I'm this whole because I'm wondering where they're going with this with the movie. One. It's pretty like it's like I think it's only 20 30 minutes in, but I'm watching and all of a sudden he reads the flyer and it's a close up and it says dog cannot bark due to throat problems or whatever. And I might I, I don't I love when I can react in a movie because like I watch so many movies and I'm like my my emotions are kind of droll or I'm mute or I'm kind of like okay I'm into it I'm not but that moment I was like my eyebrows literally raised and I was like oh shit no way so it was the first moment it was like the only moment that truly I mean there were a lot of twists and turns in this movie but that was the first one I was like I didn't see coming at all and so he ran for the cupboard and I was like oh this dog's gonna be dead and I was really invested so um that was my uh <laughs> that was yeah. my moment uh, uh, but tell the people your best or I have a few my first uh, one is actually not far after when you ended your twist because the first twist to me was like the janitor eating the dog just like oh, him yeah. opening the cover him opening the armoire and not seeing the dog and then two seconds later you see the janitor about to eat the dog that that was crazy i did not see that coming mm -mm. but then uh the twist that I want to talk about is maybe it's not one specific twist, but it's just generally the ending of the movie. The twist of Yeonju uh, trying to reveal that he killed the dog, I didn't see that coming. And 
Hyun Nam's response I didn't see coming because she just hands him his shoe back. I thought that there would be more repercussions for him. It's well, not, again, it's not like generally, it's not like a twist in the moment. It's just like, it's a subversion of expectations in a way. I think it's very interesting because I'm constantly reminded watching foreign films, any foreign films, of how how skewed our expectations are when it comes to storytelling. Because I think in any, in a traditional American story, a version of this story, there would be some kind of clear, you know, climax where the characters are giving exposition as to things that happened or why they did what they did. And all of a sudden, like, the plot comes to this moment. And then, like, it's usually exposition. I use that as an example because a lot of filmmakers, and it's no fault. I mean, you know, it's even some, even some of the best films out there use exposition in ways where they have to, where to explain, like, oh, here's the plot coming to a clear point. Where that moment with the shoe is really interesting because you saw it in her face where she knew. And then she didn't say anything. So it brings a lot of this human nature because he's really good. Bong's really good at bringing out hum the real human nature of him to just uh, exploit these characters for just being human and therefore like not knowing what to say or having reasons not to say anything or like, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. it's very ambiguous in a way that works. But that's why, again, it's not like a twist. It's a subversion of expectations. I so uh, that's fine. Uh, that that's the one I just wanted to talk about. My best metaphor. We've talked about it a couple times, but it's the cracking of the walnuts. Just so funny. <laughs> yeah, because it's literally like I'm breaking your balls. Like yeah. you're the fucking cuck right now. And the movie did a good thing of making the wife both human, but also a ball buster like she yep. literally is cracking walnuts mm -hmm. but in a lot of movies that's a that's a trope where the wife is like so terrible mm -hmm. that the man feels cucked but they did it this way and the wife didn't come off as like a huge bitch right which is a rare thing yeah uh so what is your best metaphor um, I didn't have a real literal metaphor. I mean, the only there was one I really liked. I had the nuts as a runner-up because I just thought it was really funny. And then there's there was, the, and then there was the moment at the end where they're doing the copying. I don't know. I just found it very poignant for a metaphor. Is they're doing the they were copying. They were xeroxing the the missing dog photos at the end, and she's talking about how the guy got away, but she's speaking to him. And so she said, um, and it cuts to these very close-ups of their face, and it's just the light of the Xerox passing underneath them. And their, their faces light up, and she says, um, did you see his face? And it cuts to their face, and they just this light comes up, and it's just, there's this pause. Face. And I was like, and I'm like, here, they're putting up these flyers for this dog, for these dogs that he, you know, he, he, this guy's been sabotaging and killing dogs, and it's like, you know, here's this moment where it's like, he's caught, caught in the act, and I liked the copy machine uh, the lighting anyway i just i think what's really with the homeless man at the end my real answer is the metaphor of <laughs> I just got the notion of it was ironic that the humans not and not the dogs were the ones acting like vicious animals <laughs> huh. That's That's it true. was it was really just like it's more crux uh, of the whole movie itself not really like i said it's not like a real visual metaphor but that homeless man at the end i'm looking i'm like this these guys are animals i'm like they're all just the way they behave between they're animals um, and between, i slaughtered them like animals like animals 
god. This guy, you know, the protagonist between him about to throw a dog. I mean, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, he's holding this dog over the roof. And you're, Yo, he's about to drop this dog off the roof. You already know he's a bad dude. Then he's hanging the dog. He puts it in the cupboard. The one dude's, you know, the janitor's cooking up a stew for the dog. And then a homeless man at the end about to eat the dog. And I'm like, these characters are acting like animals. And so that was what it came back to me was this idea of this metaphor. Of the, yeah. the people. Let's get into our final conversation here discussion yeah yeah yeah. so i can kick it off this time sure, of course um so we've only done two directors as we said before and i gotta say this out of all three directors is probably the most ambitious of first movies that i have seen correct he goes all out in this movie i can't tell you like how odd I was just by the scope of this movie you know we mentioned before the singing choir cheering Hyun um, on while she tries to steal the dog back like there are so many extras in this movie there's so much like you know there's so much in this movie that it's just inspiring that a first-time director can do this yeah Uh, but not only that I was also shocked by just how much of the themes that Bong Joon-ho would talk about for the rest of his career were in this movie. Like, I made a list of everything that I think I think comes back. The inequalities of the lower class, the professorship offering mobility, disgust with meat, genre bending, dark humor, the importance of basements and bunkers. Yeah. Uh, what's it called the importance of faces because as we'll see in the next couple weeks like you were talking about the the scene where they're photocopying and the face lights up that yeah, yeah. the importance of a face comes back in make uh memories of murder we'll get to it next week obviously but it also comes back in a couple of other of his movies and finally the power of tv just Young Nam wanting to be on TV. That's her motive. You That's know? her motive the entire time. And in uh, a lot of his other movies, it's like the power of the media. Uh, there's a that's a common theme around among his movies. What's really interesting you say that because didn't you say that his well he's influenced by media obviously, but didn't you say he wasn't allowed to like leave his home to go to the movies? So you get the idea he was watching a lot of TV. Yeah, that's kind of where I think it stems from. You know, like there's obviously this idea that I never even picked that up, but it makes sense that there's always characters who are kind of consumed. Like, you know what it is? Like you see it in a lot of movies, but like there's, I feel like they very specifically cater to characters glued to the TV at some point. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this idea, whether it's the wife laying on the sofa, she won't even look at her husband. She's looking at the TV yep. or, the, or whether it's the two girls watching the news. Cause they're like, this could be us. We could be famous. Um, and then, you know, to, again, to jump, to Okja, what is Jake Gyllenhaal's character? He is a television persona. So the it, it television comes back. In Parasite, TV is important as well because mm-hmm. what is bringing both families together in that mm-hmm. movie? Television. Mm-hmm. So it, this isn't just a one-off. A lot of the themes that he carries throughout his movies are laid in this movie. It's true, and I like that, like, what you're saying about, like, basements and bunkers and coming back to this idea of, like, the visual 
not just the visual metaphors, but the visual cues for what's really happening. And I love the idea. And I'm, I mean, I, I'll intentionally be looking, I mean, I'll subconsciously be looking for it, but it's like the idea of that. And I really felt this with, when I was watching Parasite is that classism represented by literal physical um, like architecture, like the fact that the rich, the wealthy family, and I'm not going to dive into it because we'll save that for our episode, but how the wealthy family is in a giant house. And then there's like some weird shit going down literally underground. And so yeah. this, but that's very reminiscent here, how he's got these giant apartment buildings and like this idea of like the roof being this, this area of, I mean, it opens with the woman talking about the radishes on the roof and then, but the weather's not clear enough. Like so there's, they're building towards this, open area and then like the lower you get you find the janitors looking to cook dogs like it's he is literally taking uh his space and he's kind of creating an actual elevation i can't even explain what i'm saying but it's like i, I feel mean, like that theme to add was, on to uh something i said earlier in the beginning uh i said bong joon ho's mother was a germaphobe and didn't like him going to the movies she said the reason she didn't like it was because no sunlight goes into those movies, uh, into the movie theaters. Like it's not clean because it, no sunlight goes into the theaters. That's interesting. So the power of sunlight means something to Bong Joon Ho. You know, like to bring back Parasite, that family lives above ground on a hilltop, closest exactly. to the sun, with giant windows, and yeah. So in this movie, the sun, like on the roof, when you're closest to the sun, is when you get to eat. That's where the radishes are. That's where I mean, it's disgusting. that's where the guy was what, getting ready to the cook. It's gonna cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then you get to the basement, and I mean, yes, the janitor is eating in secret, but that's where the basement means. It's a place for secrets and darkness. And that's where it, the boiler Kim story comes out, you know? Yeah. I, so again, thematically, I think this movie is good. But if we can talk negative here for a minute, I will say it's too long. An hour oh, really? 51 minutes was too long. I really I think that it could have been cut maybe like 20 minutes. I think you could have trimmed stuff. What I was very <sighs> interested to see is that how, like obviously when you watch a movie and they get to the climax or what you think is the climax, you kind of expect the story to end. And after the bit with the roof, with the homeless man, I thought for sure, like there would be a little epilogue at the end, and and it kind of kept kinda going. Was. But like it kept going, like that whole sequence with um, him getting the job yeah. and and her finding him uh, passed out, and then them running together. It was very, it, it was very interesting because there's no big climactic moment. The big climactic moment was that roof chase, but like it's very interesting how the movie spent so much time following. The, you know the main characters kind of just wandering around yeah um, but to that point and i'm not holding this against the movie but because again i see what bong joon ho wanted to do but like you were talking about the climax of the movie the climax of the movie was different than what i thought or kind of wanted it to be mm -hmm. maybe this is because i'm american and like i'm used to this formula but yun ju never got his comeuppance never no. in fact he got to a better position by the end of the movie and he killed a fucking dog. And I know yeah. that this is what we were saying about American films and whatever, but it's just like the climax of the movie typically would be he gets his comeuppance. Instead, sure. the lower class homeless man gets fucked. Again, I'm not taking away from how horrible what he was about to do was because he was literally about to stick a dog through the asshole. 
with a goddamn pipe, which is disgusting. No, but of course. You're not talking about the morals of the characters. But I'm not talking about the, the morals of the character. I'm just saying the homeless man was kind of shooed in and took the spot of the bad guy when you already had Yeonju as the, vil- as the villain. Um, I don't he, know I'm not saying he's a, not a sympathetic villain. I'm just saying he if, is a villain. I also don't know if it's that black and white. Like, of course, Yeonjun is a character you could call a villain because he, like I said, like we said, it opens with him trying to kill a dog. You know what I mean? So immediately he's someone you can't sympathize with, even though he's your protagonist. So it's very interesting. But also there's that, that um, not cliche, but there's that, that ending that many, mov- many movies out there do where the character kind of, lingers on or succeeds in a way that you wouldn't think but there's also that like there's that extra feeling that they will not be happy no matter what like that's the whole thing like he gets his job but you know he's staring out the window and he's in this room classroom of of, that's ultimately shrouded in darkness he gets drunk he fantasizes about dying the same way as min and so it's kind of like you get the idea to be happy right but he didn't really get like and he admitted what he did. Maybe that was the thing. Like he had been running for so long and finally he gave up and showed himself. Right. Like that's literally the metaphor in a nutshell right in front yeah. of your face. But I, at the same time, it's like she didn't react at all. Right. I mean, again, I get what he was going for. It wasn't, it was different, but it's like she helps him find his shoe. You want him to get what he deserves. I want him to just at least get slapped in the face and going like, you're a fucking disgusting human being. And I know he already knows that. Like I was saying, he's a sympathetic villain. They build up his character very well. Mm -hmm. It's just, when you kill a dog, you are a villain. You know, I, I, and I don't disagree. I mean, that's just the human way. It's just, that's what's what inspired a John Wick trilogy or what's going to be for John Wick movies is that it all started with killing a dog. Um, But, and so like we're conditioned to feel that way. But I also think that he, Bong Joon-ho is also not crossing into, this is why I'm saying I don't think it's that black and white because even though killing a dog is horrific and it makes you an unsympathetic character, I think he's showing that this whole, all these characters live in a gray area. He's showing the depravity of like the lower class and the lengths they have to go to to just like feel that they can survive. I get all of them, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate it. Don't take what I'm saying as a complaint necessarily. Like I'm just saying it breaks the norm of what a typical movie would be. Oh yeah. Kind of what I just want. Like I said, I didn't need like a big fight out, but like a slap in the face would be nice. I guess a little something would, but I don't. I don't know. I kind of the older I get, the more I like. They, movies don't go in the typical direction. I, 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 I will say the ending kind of fizzled out a little bit. But that's um, why I was saying the movie felt too long. I feel like you could have twe- tweaked this movie a little and shrunk it a little. Yeah, I mean, there are... Well, what it happened is, is it fell into kind of repetition because it does the classic, I don't know what it's called. Like, it's a classic trope of like the one, two, three movement. Like you have a situation and you present it three times. And yeah. so it's like with this, you follow three different dogs. And so like the dogs are the representation, but like in movies, they, they'll follow routines where a character does, goes through the similar motions three times. And by the third time, something will change. Sorry, I don't know why this didn't go through my mind earlier, but as soon as you mentioned it, like the one, two, three dogs, it reminded me of, um, do you remember uh, A Fish Called Wanda? Of course. Great when movie. the old woman's dogs just kept dying <laughs> one after one, and it was like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and what it does is it, 
creates comedy. It creates a comedy because what it does is it creates a, a, an expectation. You expect the situation to go exactly the way it did the first two times. Yeah, it's funny. I wonder if uh, Bong Joon Ho used that as an influence. That would be funny. I mean, he clearly, I don't know what all of his influences are, but it's very interesting because, and again, it's not that I'm arguing. I completely agree with you that I, it would have been more satisfying to see the slap in the face, the justification for him killing the dog and being a piece of shit. But it's also like the fact that it's not typical and it didn't go that way. It's kind of like makes me linger on what the picture is saying as a whole. Well, I and can when tell you, sorry, just to go back no, 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 of too far from it, but you said you didn't know his influences. I could tell you a couple. I know uh-huh. that uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is what wanted, hit, uh, which is what made him want to become a filmmaker. Okay. Psycho did that. That's, so he's a big Hitchcock fan. I can he's see that. He's a big Scorsese fan. He like mm-hmm. even dedicated his Oscar to Martin Scorsese. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, he's a Quentin Tarantino fan because he loved Pulp Fiction. It changed the way he looked at movies. Uh, and there was one more I can't find. So he's but, a typical film student. He is a typical film student. Nothing but, wrong with that. But unlike a lot of other film students, he was actually able to take the essence of what these guys were doing. And, and do like, his own thing. Do his own thing and use it to his, use it to his advantage. Yeah, Where a lot absolutely. of other people copy and paste. This is like a fresh take on a lot of old tropes. Well, it's nice because... And, I, and maybe it's just, I don't know if it's just because he's, he's Korean and he's influenced by these American filmmakers, but he's taking American tropes, American stereotypes, but he's applying it to South Korean politics and South Korean themes. And like, what's, well, what's, what's brilliant is the themes that are universal. Like you can watch Parasite as an American or any other, from any other culture, and you can understand the rich and the poor and how it affects people's behaviors. Yeah, well, American influence over Korea is not really a theme in this movie, but it is a theme throughout the rest of his work. Oh, absolutely. You and I have talked about, and well, anyway, I'm very excited to see how the show continues is we've talked about constantly how his movies become more Americanized as he goes along. I yeah. mean, well, not just that, but the importance of America in Korea, like obviously uh, we talked about this before. America has a very big influence in Korea because we have a military base there. Mm-hmm. So if you look at his other movies, like in Memories of a Murder, it takes sending something to America to solve it. it in, uh, uh, which one was it? The Host, the American military man loses an arm, which means that people are fucked. You know, like yeah, it yeah, takes yeah. America being fucked to do that. Absolutely. You know, the influence of, or the importance of America is a theme throughout his movies. It's almost like that as his movies go along, um, well, obviously, Snowpiercer is like another one where I mean, it's clearly American influence. Right. So by the time you get to Snowpiercer and Okja, it's kind of like he's kind of slowly just making his way to America in general. You know what I mean? It's kind of just. And then, ironically, he went back to full Korean with Parasite and, with and won his Oscar. Very, very interesting. It says a lot, but I mean, I don't know. I think you and I could talk uh, all day about it. We could go in circles, but I think it's. Yeah. It's a very interesting, see, to say, like, I don't know, ambitious is the word, I think, that's good to close on. Like, it's just, I mean, I got vibes of Bottle Rocket. I don't know why those scenes, I guess maybe because it was a, there's a, like, a, our, the apartment buildings reminded me of, like, the hotels in Bottle Rocket. But, like, it felt, like, low budget and indie, like, in a good way. But, like, it was quirky enough. Um, and I guess it reminded me, I, I guess you could say there's, like, 
you know, similarities to something like following where it's like, it's enough of a, not a mystery, but it's kind of like, there's enough of a, of a plot that's lingering that you want to find out what happens next. But I think you, you nailed it when you said that out of the three directors that we've hit so far for the first film, this is definitely the biggest and most ambitious. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to end uh, our final conversation. Let's get into pick of the week. I'll start with mine. I, I'm actually. I, um, uh, never mind. What? No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to be surprised if we have the same pick, but I feel like there was one clear answer that came to my mind. So I'll let you start it. All right. Uh, since we just left the Disney thing, I'm going to go back and say 101 Dalmatians. Never mind. <laughs> Please continue. I'm going to talk about the animated version, though the Glenn Close version is really funny and pretty good as well. Is it? I haven't seen it since I was like, you know, however years old. I'm not, the movies themselves are probably not great, but Glenn Close is like, oh, yeah, she's going full out. She's full like, Albert Nobbs, you know, it's, it's... you could tell, <laughs> like Josh and I have talked about this before. You could tell when an actor, actress is going, is like having the time of their life on a set. And that was Glenn Close on the 101 Dalmatian movies. But I'm talking about the original animated Of course, movie. of course. I'll be honest, I haven't seen it in a while, but I feel like in that movie, the dogs get their revenge on the humans, which I felt like was necessary after this movie. Obviously, Corella wants to make a coat out of Dalmatians, and they say, fuck you, bitch. So, Wait a minute. But they're doing another live action uh, one in 101 Dalmatians with Emma Stone, right? She is playing Corella DeVille. I think they should scrap all of that. I, although I do love Emma Stone. And, but I think that maybe if, if Bong is going to sell out, I think this could be a good picture for him to tackle and they should just, you know. It's more of a Wes Anderson production, if you ask me. <laughs> but I, I, I will, I'll save my thoughts on the Corella movie. No, of course, I don't, I don't mean to trump your... Uh, your no, 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 no. I'm pretty much this. done. Go for it. What's your pick of the week? Uh, so I'm going to go with the 2012 dark comedy from Martin McDonough, Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, I knew that's what was you were going to pick. That's why I was like, I can't pick that one. I'm, I'm, I don't, maybe I'm too... I guess I'm too predictable. I don't know, man. I watched this movie, Barking Dogs, and I was like, what other movie is a dark comedy that at the center of it all is inspired by a fluffy dog. And I, I started seven psychopaths was the only one that came to mind. I think it's, it's criminally underrated only because of no one ever talked about it after it came out. Even in Bruges, which came before has developed a cult following. And then three billboards was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. So it's kind of like, didn't he win best uh, screenplay that year? uh, Francis took it home that, that day. Yeah, I think Mark, I think McDonough won for screenplay, but I could be wrong. Either way, it's, it's interesting to see that between In Bruges and Three Billboards, Mark McDonough has this kind of like sleeper, dark comedy, very dark comedy with Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson. Um, and Sam Rockwell gives this great monologue in the middle of like these canyons and these, they're sitting around a fire and he's, I don't know. It's got great comedic moments, but that, that, that dark comedy centered around a dog. It just came to mind. Um, and yeah, whatever. I'm predictable. I don't give a shit. It's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own it. I'm not going to just say I'm not what I am. So it's, it's great. I, can't, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's violent. It's funny. And it's got, a, it's got some good cautionary tales behind it. It's wicked smat. <laughs> All right, everyone. So I think that will conclude this episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? 
I think the general consensus is watch Barking Dogs Never Bite. Yeah, yeah, watch it. And so, next week. Uh... As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart or on Letterbox at the same name, Mr. Filmart. Josh. You can follow you? you can find me on Letterboxd. It's Beesh, B-E-E-S-H. That's it. I mean and, that's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, always you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Who's Filmography. We will see you next week when we cover the murder. Murder, well, couple murders in Bong Joon Ho's Mur- Memories of Murder. See you next week. Yeah, you did you did good there, Steve. Thank you.